0: Welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, your go to source for straight up business advice. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford. And on today's episode, I chat to an incredibly inspiring woman who is the founder of Dirt Company, an Australian-made eco-laundry detergent. It is incredibly well-designed, and it's all about reducing plastic in the laundry industry. I personally was a user of this brand before I was introduced to Frankie, and even more in love with it now that I know Frankie and have heard the story behind how she started and why she started this company, which was incredibly inspiring. Frankie has a really interesting story in that she started in the advertising agency and had a desire to do something for herself, Spent a bit of time figuring out what that would be and testing a few different ideas out. And I just think it's so cool to hear stories like this because how does someone go from, you know, advertising in these really big firms to starting a laundry label or detergent product? Um, so Frankie dives into how that idea came about and her passion for making it an eco and giving back to the earth and, and helping to reduce the waste, as well as um, funding the, the, the product and getting her business off the ground and some of the risks that she had to take and the fear that was involved with loaning money from family and the pressure that she felt and how she had to figure out how to use her money so wisely and and not have this huge big bucket of money but enough to get her off the ground. I think Frankie's story is pretty cool because her dad was an entrepreneur and businessman and so kind of sparred her on and and helped her out along the way and we kind of joked that we should have had her dad on the episode because she shares so many great words of wisdoms that he has shared with her over the years. So jam-packed with really, really good advice, super practical, super raw, real and honest, the ups and downs of business, cash flow. Um, getting an idea off the ground, hustling to manufacture something that hadn't been done before when production companies wouldn't take you seriously because you don't have a business yet. So Frankie talks how to battle that and how to overcome that and and um, get in the game with production and manufacturing if you don't have any um, runs on the board yet. But lots of great wisdom, some really quotable lines and Good advice in there from Frankie. She was an absolute legend to catch up with. And dirt is doing incredible things in reducing the plastic and, you know, giving back to making sure our oceans are healthy and our world is left in a better place from when we first arrived here. So enjoy this episode. We will be doing a giveaway that Frankie has kindly donated. So if you'd like to go in the running to win some dirt products and also some of their um, laundry pegs, check out our Instagram. Be sure to enter the competition and yeah, get your hands on some dirt, guys. You won't regret it. Enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome to the podcast, Frankie. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. It's lovely to finally meet you. I've been a fan and a customer of Dirt for a couple of years now after Jasmine from Ethical Made Easy put me on to you as a sustainable solution um, to laundry liquid. Oh, Great. I'm glad you're enjoying it then. Yeah, I think I was just chatting to um, Seed and Sprout last week and it was my, kind of my entry point into sustainability and Um, I think you guys were the next step of being like once you kind of you start to feel really good and then you're looking for like-minded brands and it's like well what else can I do to transform my house to make it more ethical and sustainable so you guys were high on the list
1: oh great I'm pleased with the uh, brands that we're sitting amongst yeah Yeah.
0: a good little crew happening there
1: yeah
0: Amazing. Well, maybe just for our audience to kick off, if you can introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Dirt.
1: Sure. My name is Frankie and I'm the founder of The Dirt Company. Uh, We're about three years old now and we sell laundry detergent uh, and other laundry products online. And if you want to buy a subscription and the whole premise of the uh, product is to reduce packaging waste. So we have dispenser bottles that kind of form your primary um, bottle and they're really great for helping you monitor how much you use and easy dispense. And then we send refill packs out that can be used to refill the bottle and there's about 90% less plastic in a refill pack compared to a bottle. Uh, And then on top of that we take back the refill packs and sanitise them and reuse them through our refill return program effectively making the um, packaging cycle zero waste, if that's what you're into. And then the detergent itself is full of um, plant-based and organic cleaning ingredients, and it's an ultra-concentrate, meaning you really only need a little bit so there's, you know, less redundant water getting shipped around and therefore less of a carbon footprint. So we just kind of took the, the laundry system and, um, and cut everything that felt like waste out of it.
0: Amazing. So, so incredible. Like So amazing. Like, you know, somebody who's obviously dived deep into, you know, what that industry, the impact that industry or the aspect of our everyday lives has on the environment. It's amazing to hear how deep in ingrained it is. Like it, we don't even think about half of these things, but it sounds like you've got your head around it. And one of the things that I read about you was your mentality around how do we keep doing better? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a very important part. I mean, the idea as we launched it and the idea today are fairly different things. Um, in the premise, the idea behind them hasn't changed, but the actual execution of it just is a, is an evolving beast.
0: Yeah, and we'll chat, we'll we'll dive into that because I think it would be interesting to. hear where you started and I saw some photos of you know the typical startup story of coming out of dad's garage um which is pretty cool but let's let's go back a little bit before that because I'm intrigued to hear how how you got into this how it became such a big passion of yours um yeah I mean for me I definitely grew up with an OCD father that made me clean all the time but somebody (laughs) somebody devoting their life to cleaning products and making them more sustainable and ethical where did that come from? From?
1: Um, I just love laundry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love
1: to clean. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. I'm a, I'm a bit of a grub myself. The The idea was kind of a string of different epiphanies um, pulled together into, into one idea. So I guess the premise of um, reducing waste was an idea that I decided I wanted to work on when I was 18. Um, working on some super yachts in in France and uh, across the Atlantic in the Caribbean on my gap year, just kind of picked up a job dock walking and um, ended up on this crossing where we used to see just like the most amazing sea life you can ever imagine deep out in the Atlantic. Um, And at the same time, our deckhands just used to throw trash overboard and that was pretty standard behaviour for trash. Um, at the time, which I felt really shocking. It was quite confronting, but uh, it was actually very normal and it was just my naivety that had led me not to think about that uh, in the past. And that's when I kind of decided I wanted to do something, you know, around reducing waste. There just seemed to be a lot of legacy in the way that we behaved around waste and not a lot of innovation. Um, but, you know, I was 18 at the time and I had also other agendas and... Um, and I wanted to live overseas and I wanted to have a job and have an income and get my own independence and all the rest of it, um, things are maybe less conducive with starting a business. So I um, ended up working in advertising uh, in Germany and that was because they were the first industry that would offer me a visa to stay uh, in the country. So that's how I got into advertising and I loved it. I really fell on my feet. Um, in terms of that and it was really great to see, you know, advertising is a great place to be if you're a problem solver because a client comes to you with we've got this thing and we need to, I mean, primarily sell it but often it was engage with people or, um, you know, change the way that we innovate as a company and sitting in the strategy department as I was, you were responsible for creating the idea. And from that I saw a lot of opportunity and direct to, consumer and customers that were kind of beholden to you know big chain retailers and having to do things in their format and their way which restricts a lot of innovation as well um, and so that was kind of the next epiphany was I wanted to do something in trash and I wanted to make sure that I could move a customer base along the journey as opposed to kind of being roadblocked by how I'm told to I'm allowed to um, speak to my customers um, And so that was kind of the next thing. And then it was just a matter of finding the product, like what was going to be the vessel that would allow me to explore whether this idea of taking people on a trash journey by offering them better products that were a bit different to what was out there would be something possible. And that final epiphany came when I started to think about laundry detergent quite a lot living with my um, housemate who was a little bit had sensitive skin and needed liquid laundry detergent and um, we just used to go through these jugs and it was unbelievable how fast we went through them I mean especially if we've been somewhere on the weekend or you know you'd buy a jug and be gone by Wednesday um, and that was when I sort of thought had a good look at the cleaning aisle and thought look there's a lot of just old stuff here old brands slow innovation lots of plastic, seems like it could be an aisle that would be interesting to take on as a shake-up. And that was kind of the final, I guess, epiphany in a, in a chain of events over nearly a decade that uh, led to the Dirt Company.
0: Wow, amazing story. And I think it's such a, in, a, a good um, lesson for those because I often get asked as a business coach, how do you come up with your idea or how do you know which idea to roll with? And I think your story that you've just shared is that perfect insight of like, okay, I know I these are my fundamentals and these are my values. Um now, you know, eyes open, where is this going to reveal itself and, you know, what what will I care or be connected enough to want to do something about?
1: Totally. I think not forcing the hand of an idea is a really great place to start, you know, as long as you're in a in a job that you quite like and you're happy there. You know, giving yourself time and breathing space, not kind of quitting and saying it's time to do my own thing definitely makes for a um, a more felt out beginning as opposed to kind of just throwing an idea out there and, and hoping that it's the one that works.
0: Yeah, that's such good advice and I think it comes back to like, you know, finding a need as well. I think a lot of people are like, I just want to start my own business or I can I want to do this. But the businesses that have the best success is when there's a really obvious need of, you know, for your example, of um, reducing waste and plastic and and turnover in in their laundry department Um, but really seeing where no one else was doing, there was a gap. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was certainly a lucky, uh, a lucky day when my frustration of
0: laundry detergent turned into an opportunity in my brain. Yeah, and I'm interested in that if you can remember. So this was how, how many years ago was this? Uh, probably about five. Yeah, so then you spent a couple of years developing what that would look like, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah and sure. how much of the like cut, like seeing the um, laundry detergent need and like having that clarity kind of drop of being like oh i think i could do this how much of in that process was your passion and like your you like you did you feel really alive to it or were you like cool here's an opportunity i'm going to apply my skills here or was it obviously you were connected to the problems with your housemate and and seeing the ocean the what was yeah. happening in the ocean
1: i mean the next step was to validate the problem um, and I and also validate that you could create a solution. And for me, I actually just went on Amazon uh, US source of all truthful reviews um, and buckets of them, and just sort of listened to the chatter around laundry detergent. And there certainly wasn't anyone saying we want refill packs because they weren't around at the time. Uh, but there was a lot of chatter about a really great laundry detergent that was really concentrated and that had really taken people by surprise and there was a genuine interest in that so that kind of validated that you know that there is despite the fact that laundry detergent laundry is something people don't want to think about uh, it's something that we need to buy fairly regularly and so people do care where they're putting their money um, it doesn't matter what part of the household so there was you know, there was scope for people really loving a laundry detergent. I thought that's interesting, a little bit unexpected, but certainly validates that mm-hmm. there is an opportunity to excite people around this
0: department. And then the next And was thing that I something did, that you felt excited about? Like were you like, was there an alive to- I mean, feeling in? Totally. But at that point, <laughs> at that point I was just all of a sudden an open-up laundry nerd. Um, it's so intriguing to me that like this young funky entrepreneur is like oh i'm a sailor and now i'm gonna change the world through laundry yeah
1: i mean we like to think of our laundry detergent as a little bit of a trojan horse to respond uh sustainability so it's sort of like you know you you don't have to care about sustainability to enjoy using the laundry detergent that's kind of the premise of do less harm Uh, but far out if you do care about sustainability it's a very exciting uh, innovation because you know what's killing the planet it's death of a thousand cuts so it's these little changes that are kind of stacking up to become very impactful Um, and to be a part of that with a new idea felt extremely exciting to me and then getting into the world of chemistry I was like I mean, my mind was blown. Getting into the world of sustainable chemistry was even more of an unveiling. Um, but that it was just so exciting to learn about that. And I, I created this list, this Excel sheet that was called why my product is better than yours. And I had to have a reason for every competitor why I thought I could do better. And then that formed the basis of the laundry brief. And then we went through the process of developing the formula. So it was very much a, you know, I went on that journey and worked out that I could do something better Uh, and that was very exciting. I think if you're feeling like you're getting to every corner and it's like, yep, yep, opportunity there, oh, yep, 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 we'll add that in there, Um, you know, then you know you're kind of finding something that's probably uh, a worthwhile idea to pursue
0: yeah which is business 101 right like what what is your niche how you what's your point of difference and where's the need like you've nailed it who needs business school yeah <laughs> amazing so tell us a little bit about this manufacturing process and um how like jumping into chemistry and um, yeah, how do you even start from that, going from advertising to developing this product?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I did not develop it so everyone can breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> but what we did is we found a really great chemist um, that you can work with. Um, you can work with chemists that sell, like, white-label products. Like, okay, so you want a laundry detergent, what do you want it to smell like? It's kind of one category of chemists. And then you've got I think there's only two or three of these in Australia, people that will um, develop, offer brief from scratch and make you a completely unique formula. Um, And so finding that was a difficult um, journey, but it, it ended up coming through, you know, asking a friend of a friend of a friend uh who gave us a lead and we found a really great chemist and when we went to him he said i've never in my entire career seen a brief as thorough as this one <laughs> um, which was i think a bit shocking to him but i found it a real compliment um i've done my homework and then yeah and then he took over the development and then we did the testing is it everything that we want What's missing? What needs to change? And I think the I think the only thing that we felt wasn't strong enough was its ability to tackle grass stains. So they went back and adjusted it a little bit in that direction, and it hit all the concentration criteria, you know, the viscosity, so it could get through the pump. All all the things that you probably wouldn't think you need to think about. Um, and then yeah, then we were away with the formula. And then the manufacturing side of it, I mean, anyone who's tried to get anything off the ground without a name behind them or like a pre-existing business would, would know how hard the manufacturing process is. Um, I think the, the one thing that cracked open for me sort of once I did an exercise where I Googled how many times somebody had said it unfortunately to me in my inbox, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just like every email I'd written. Came back with it, unfortunately, because, I mean, we didn't have anything to stand behind. Like, no one knew who we were or we are just tire kickers to most people. But um, going out to visit people. So I, the Western Ring Road in Melbourne became my best friend and I used to just get in the car and drive around and, and um, made a kind of philosophy where I would not really imply who I was but um, I would use my... the business that I was currently working for, which had a bit of name recognition um, as just a random point of interest and I said, I'd like to come and have a meeting with you. And when I went and had a meeting, you know, it's much harder to say no to people's faces. Um, and so that was the way we got people to get us small runs of product um this
0: was taking it from the formula to actually putting it in bottles
1: yeah that was the harder part the formula i mean the formula you can write a brief and you can keep it within your control but manufacturers do not want to mess around with you know little tiny startups that just have this idea and bootstrapping their way forward Mm -hmm. um and so, so what
0: was your first production run how big how big was that
1: 500 bottles Oh, wow, um, amazing! Uh, I think it was fifteen hundred refill packs in the end, and, and it was. Did you have funding
0: reason. to get this off the ground, or is that an expensive process? Or how did you? Um,
1: that? Yeah, we did. I mean, it was we were bootstrapped. I had an arrangement um, with my dad that I could do it for under the price of a university degree. The people put up the capital uh, at the same. Rate that I was forgoing my wage, <laughs> so we actually landed exactly at that uh, at that amount over the course of two years. Oh, wow! So what I didn't earn, he put into the business across the first two years, um, yeah. but never we never agreed on uh, kind of an amount to start and finish. Um, and obviously, the arrangement was heavily tied up in equity, so he owns half, the, almost half the business. Um, on account of that arrangement, so yeah. it was very smart um, business move, Dad. Yeah, <laughs> good on you, Dad. Yeah, so it was very um like we always said, like it, this is kind of a real life MBA because it was something I was tossing around, giving a go as well, and we thought it would be more educational to try and learn business by doing a business that uh, would be by doing university so um, you know I, I effectively loaned that amount off him but gave him equity for it and said it won't be more than what I'm loaning off myself uh, by not earning any money and yeah. that's how we got it started which made which made for a very different beginning to I think how a lot of startups are launched because it was kind of like we need $10,000 to do this and can can I please and then you know we'd go through a process of is there a cheaper way to do it? Can we cut it out? Is it completely necessary? Have we begged, borrowed, and stolen everything we could before we put the capital up? Um, so I mean, as far as as far as kind of startups go, there's certainly no cap, no capital funding in the in the traditional sense of it. It was just. Yeah, I think
0: this bad. is one of the most unique um, funding setups. <laughs> Quite the formula <laughs> you got there. It must be the chemist study. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's quite funny I
1: mean uh, there's there's points in the story where you know I just felt bad I didn't want to ask again so I sold my car and things like that where you just go like it was a curly arrangement where everyone was trying their best not to use too much money to do anything at all uh and instead we traded that it took time took time to get rolling
0: and we Amazing. did this
1: Small runs
0: and all the rest of it. So, I mean, I think that's a fabulous example because there's so many people who think they can't start a business or back an idea because they don't have this big chunk of money. And, yeah. you know, I didn't even have anything when I started. Obviously, I was service based, so I didn't have many overheads. <coughs> But the thing that I reflect back on now, there was times where I was like, I could do so many workshops and print more magazines and things like that. But it had, I had too much money at the beginning. I think I would have just wasted it on some things.
1: Yeah, I think that that's like that's one of the things that I I hear quite commonly when I speak to people about uh, you know what they're trying to do or anything is well we've got seventy five thousand and I think oh shit. Don't spend it. Whatever you do, you know, when you actually need money, you need you need a certain amount of money to get going. For us, we had to pay for the first run of product and we had to pay for the product development. But we traded equity for uh website for packaging help. We really just called a lot of favors in just trying to hack the whole thing together. And so our, our startup capital was relatively limited compared to what we had to front and we had to do the second run and the third run and the fourth run. I think the third run was probably the hardest, but your order quantities are growing and you're changing cash into stock and you need more stock. And the more you buy at once, the lower your costs are. So you want to get to the stage where you're buying bigger runs of product, but never so big that if something goes wrong, you end up with money in stock that you can't do anything with. And so for us that was that whole like step change, step change, just a little bit bigger and now we're going to need a little bit more money but we can justify it this time. We know it's not going to be wasted because there's people that want to buy our product. Um, mm-hmm. But Which is whole, the
0: validation that needs to happen throughout, right? It's like exactly. people think that, you know, they validate the beginning but it's like <clears throat> there's a validation at every step of growth to see what the need is and, and where to go next. And I think exactly. I've heard it so many times is the, that balance, that really fine line of balance of cash flow in a product-based business is like, you know, a skill set that everyone going into product needs to hone. Totally, because I really don't think that, um,
1: you know, it, it's not a logical equation it, that makes intuitive sense. At least it didn't to me. I wasn't a finance person, but uh, I feel like it was still a surprise Um, that the more money you make, the more money you need to spend for a little while. It just works like that and and I couldn't tell you why. And I remember getting to a point in it was sort of nearing the end of a year and a half um, that we'd been in the business. We were still working for no wages. We were starting to pull in, like, significant revenue, like things where you would have thought that we could have paid for something. And I remember calling my dad and saying, Dad, we've got a zombie business. I can't figure it out like the profit margin is good the sales are going up I don't understand why where's (laughs) the money (laughs) less and less money as we're going and I and and dad was you know he had his own business he said oh don't worry about it that's just money's changing form it's not disappearing
0: and I was Mm -hmm. like what
1: on earth does he mean by that and then um Oh, I said, I don't think I can keep going with this because I don't understand it. What, like, I can't do it forever and not make money. And, you know, I wanted to contribute to our household as well. Um, Starting to get the guilt on that. And um, we hired a financial guy to do a bit of consulting for us. And he said, Yeah, by April next year, you'll have money in your bank. And we
0: well, were like, uh, Oh, my God. <laughs> what Real? is this magic? <laughs> like, hey, maybe, maybe that's where the MBA comes in. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, oh, that's it. Well, okay,
1: we just keep going there, but we kind of nearly can it all because wow. we didn't understand that whole process of money changing form. But it is just, it is just a thing that exists in product-based businesses where, I think if you have a lot of startup capital, you think, well, how much am I going to spend on stock? And then how much do I have for a website? How much do I have for this, that and the other? Which means when you do get to that inevitable point where you need your second run or your third run of stock, you actually have already allocated all your startup capital to something else and you need to raise again. So you lose lose a bit more equity in that way. And you can end up in a cycle where you end up working really, really hard and trading what you own just to buy some stock or just to buy something else which you know for your motivation in time can be a pretty vicious cycle so I mean that's where the bootstrapping idea was Um, you know we only put in cash when there was no other alternative Um, and we really grew slowly on account of that because fast growth requires capital and we did not have that.
0: Yeah, I might just do a quick um, translate for those at home, because I know our audience is at all different levels, but bootstrapping is like, you know, bare minimum and and pulling on favours and exactly everything that Frankie has said. Is that what you would say, how you describe it, Frankie? yeah definitely um so not just throwing heaps of cash in raising capital is when you go and get investors and equity is you know a percentage of the business that you might give away in exchange for advice or or funds or whatever that might be (laughs) just a little quick translation i'm (laughs) loving everything that you're saying i just don't want people to get lost because it's a lot of really great advice so there's so many questions I have for you. Is um, a why didn't we put Dad on the podcast with you? I feel like he has a lot of wisdom for all of us. <laughs> Maybe he can be the follow up interview.
1: Yeah, be interesting um, to get his take on those first few years too. I've it never would, asked. Him. It.
0: And what? I love that <laughs> quote so much. I don't think I really make sense of it, but it fa- feels really powerful. I'm going to contemplate it. Is that money is just changing forms? Yeah. So, yeah hey, that
1: was- I mean, it's it's an interesting one to wrap your head around, but it makes yeah. sense once you've got your finances, once you've got your finance guy to explain it to you.
0: Yeah, well, that was my other um, smart point that I think re- listeners can take home from this interview is that they're um, outsourcing, like not feeling like you have to know it all. So, um, you know, outsourcing a chemist and then also that finance person who's just skilled in that. I think sometimes people... You know, try to learn it all themselves and feel like they need to have their head around it. Um, but sometimes the best use of cash is to just hire somebody who's passionate and super smarter, smarter than you, and can see objectively outside of the business. I think that's a really great point.
1: I think we certainly didn't, um, we certainly didn't hire experts where we could figure it out ourselves, and we definitely tried to figure out everything ourselves first. But if you get to a point where you can't see the wood from the trees, there are people that can, can do that in 10 minutes because they're experts in that in that area. And they're the people that have always kind of brought me back off the ledges, if that makes sense. When you When you know, like, you've tried this, it's not working for you. Is it you? Are you missing something? Uh, or is it the business and you know they can answer that question and I will bet they don't have to work that hard to answer it because Mm. they're one objective and two have the skills that you don't and sometimes that is just the best thing you can do for your business.
0: Absolutely. And you're buying, like I always people ask about mentors or coaches or, you know, graphic designers, whatever it might be that you feel like you need to outsource, is you're actually buying their years of experience. So maybe that finance guy has has seen this in, you know, however many businesses for however many years and is familiar with it. And so you're you're buying their study, you're buying their knowledge. It's more than just this, you know, opinion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it's really worthwhile if you if you get to a point where you sort of uh, got a very fundamental question that you're struggling to answer, um, yeah. it's definitely worth it's definitely worth help.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And how scary was it for you to be, you know, um, uh, obviously it sounds to me as if your dad was an entrepreneur or business owner in his business as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, he had a services-based business as well. So this is a lot of... Um, A lot of product stuff was new to him, but he definitely has had a lot of great advice Um, that I remember once I I said to him, Dad, I just have not slept in days. I can't work this out. And he said, oh, welcome to business, Frank. And he said, uh, you know, most of what business is, is sleepless nights with rubbish ideas in your head. But don't worry, every now and then you'll have a good one. And you'll wake up and you'll write it down and it'll all be worth it. I'm like, okay,
0: well, I have to not amazing. see I go. <laughs> <laughs> and does, was there much pressure from you? Obviously, Dad backing it and, um, you know, his experience in business. Did, was it ever overwhelming for you to be like, oh, shit, I have to make this work? Like, was there a fear of failure?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And um, maybe by construction as well because I remember getting some advice from a friend of mine who's got a great business as well, and he said, you've got to put yourself in so deep that it will cost you more to fail than it will to succeed. Mm. And I remember thinking at that time, well, I know what that is. You know, if I, if I firstly, I have to kind of quit my job, which I'd I'd stepped out of but definitely had not quit, and I have to really throw it all in. And secondly, i got to need to put some actual money into this so that, there's money to lose if it doesn't succeed and you know coming from your family it's the last money you'd want to put on the line um and and some of the money came from us as well and you know that was my partner working for his wage and then me taking it and putting it into my business Um, that is love isn't it and then all our savings as well kind of you know were um, tied up in in that so I was doing everything I could at the time to make sure that the people that had supported me in this endeavor did not lose because of it and mm. that's just an emotional pressure it wasn't around um, you know needing to succeed as a business person it was around needing to return what people had offered me and I'm um, I'm very grateful to say that we could you know as the loans are getting paid back now and um, my wage is reasonable again. And so we we have got to the point where we can give back a little bit and so the pressure from that, I don't want to let people down, is off. But it's kind of also, um, I guess, transferred to to employees because now you want to run a business to make sure that they can have a livelihood too. They've put a lot into it our business and, you know, we want to put a lot out to them as well. So I think yeah. maybe that's just business, um, you know, having that that pressure to succeed was certainly there and it came in forms that I knew would motivate me to make sure that it went
0: well. Um, and, uh, and I so think, it's, do you feel like it's a like a high achieving quality or do you think that's, like were you a high achiever as a child? Yeah.
1: Um, I certainly wasn't a
0: perfectionist. <laughs>
1: um, I I don't I don't know. I was definitely um, definitely a doer, um, you know, did everything and, and definitely finished everything. Um, but you know, this I, I also have a bit of a rough, rough, good enough philosophy. But I, I probably would say yes. In in essence, I'm an A-type personality who has big dreams and likes to see them through. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, it's interesting. I don't know what the answer is, but it's interesting hearing the story. And I think <clears throat> setting those really big goals is really scary. Um, you know, taking the risk and bringing people on. And I think a lot of people, you know, come to or reach out to Startup Creative or come to coaching or events or you know, send an email. They're like, you know, fear is such a big um, part of the business of of the. Beginning stage of starting a business is like, what if it doesn't work? But I love that you've actually spun that on its head and has used that fear to actually drive you to go like um, higher and bigger and, and use it as success. And even that story of going, you know, at first it's the fear of, you know, what if I let my family down and you know lose everybody's money. But now, like, it it doesn't go away. The next fear is how do I keep providing for these wages, and then it might be how do I ship internationally, or you know, like
1: it, yeah,
0: it doesn't go away, right? And it's like, how do you channel that fear? Totally. I think
1: there's an old there's an old advertising saying that I used to love, which is humans do everything. Uh, Out of hope or fear, and I think Mm. starting a business is a little bit of both. It's equal parts from column A and column B because you you really, really want to change the world. You know, it's this ideological. You know, what I didn't really, really want to laundry the detergent company, but I really, really felt that we could lead the way on innovating packaging so that it wasn't as uh, impactful. Um, and that was my hope. And then the other part is, well, shit, to do that, I'm going to need to borrow beyond my point of co- comfort. Um, and that's where the fear comes in. And I think it's checks and balances along the way, but I think as long as they're sort of persisting in equal measure, there's definitely a, a, a path that can be handled. I think if one was to overtake the other, like if it was all fear and you were sort of wondering where you were going, that would be a a checkpoint for me where I'd have a good look at the business, which was what happened when we kept making money and running out of cash at the same time. I just, I was overwhelmingly fearful of what I was doing at that and just couldn't bring myself to think about what happened, what would happen if I had to not go forward because I'd I'd sold a lot, of, had a lot of buy-in on the idea and I could have been really wrong. Um, and then on the other mm-hmm. hand, you know, if ever we've lost sight of we're doing this for a reason, there's a reason that's there um, and if we're not having enough success to pursue the reason why, that would be another point where you go, well, what's it all for? Um, and so I think that's, that's for me it's always just come back to, you know, you need the fear to motivate you to keep going Uh, and you need the hope as well. You need them both in equal measure because if one gets out
0: of balance, you really just get crushed. Mm, Absolutely. I think that's such beautiful advice and I was, you know, just reflecting on, I was like, what is my fear and hope? And I think the times that I do get those emails or inboxes or, um, you know, coaching clients that are like, you know, I'm fed up in my nine to five or I've had this really bad experience with a boss or something and I'm ready to finally back myself or, you know, people thinking that they're stuck in a, in a career path that isn't making them happy. Like for me, that makes my blood boil. And I always come back to that of like, what do you mean? People are just wasting their lives away at jobs that they hate. (laughs) Totally.
1: And that's such an important thing that you do as well, because it is, you know, you're you can help people change their entire lives and the way that they feel about, um, you know, their professional expertise altogether. And but it doesn't mean that your yeah. business exists without fear as well. You know, everybody's got
0: everybody's got both. You just got to keep an eye on if either is overwhelming you. I think. Yeah, and I think it's good advice to, for people to know that it's okay if there's fear in your body. Like, use that and channel channel it. It doesn't need to stop you. It's the story that you tell yourself about that fear, and whether it's going to cripple you from to inaction or inspire you to go bigger than you ever have before. Exactly, and
1: everyone will have different thresholds of what's going to be an optimal performance for them. I think <laughs> mine has been. I need quite a lot of fear. <laughs> I always have. Um, you know, a need and that's where it comes back to what my friend told me is you gotta you gotta make an equation that it costs you more not to succeed than it does it's, to
0: succeed. It's kind of like that really stereotypical meme that goes around and has been for years, which is like um everything good happens outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. Basically that's where the magic happens or something. It? It's like it's because if we're always comfortable and we're never in you know, discomfort, then why would we change? Like it's yeah. just nature in general.
1: Yeah, 100%. All comes back to a meme. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Everything okay. we learn. <laughs> <laughs> Inspirational quotes. Um, so, my next question for you was what, what is your hope? Like, I know, um, and I've read a little bit about um, your story, and you've shared with us about being on the boat and seeing the rubbish go in, but what is that thing that you hold on to that's like, you know, yes, I run this product. Um, but then also like the real change that you're in business to see is, you know, is it the cleanliness of the water or can you share with us a little bit about that? Because I'm interested to get your, I know you'll know inside out of what's actually happening. I think it's important to share the state yeah. of our environment that can be really, you know, that's it's not in the news cycle or on our Instagram feeds trending, then how many of us actually know what impact we're having? Yeah, sure.
1: I mean, in terms of, I guess, the the reason that exists behind what we do, it's just every time. I mean, you've probably heard the stats before, things like by 2050 there'll be more plastic in the ocean than fish or, I don't know, um, less known facts. Microplastics have been found in rain. Microplastics oh. have been found in uh, dead humans. Uh, as well as animals. So, I mean, it's in our environment and it really is everywhere at the moment. Um, so I think for me the that's the, the reason that that exists is because the state of trash in our world, not just our nation, is really a horrific thing to think about. Um, there's a website called The World Counts. And it's a fun one to look at if you like watching um, numbers tick over. But I just had a quick look this morning and read that 20 billion plastic bags have been manufactured this week. Um, It's like things like that when you're just like there's just a lot of reckless, reckless behaviour happening in pursuit of convenience. Um, What we hope to do is continue to create products that reformat reconsider and relook at packaging that doesn't necessarily ask people to compromise uh, on account of doing better so you know we're not going to make them more expensive we're not going to make the process harder we're not going to make the detergent work less Um, you know it's really important for us that it does all the things that you would expect of a super high convenient cheap product um, in in the category of cleaning but it does it in such a way that just makes a lot of sense for the environment going forward. Um, and so in my future is uh, just a desire to improve and improve and improve. I think we're just at the very beginning of our journey with what we can do there and we're, and we're learning so much as we go along and now we're starting to work with some of the bigger companies because we have a little bit of a name that we can fall back on. So they're listening to us now and um that is just a great position for us to be in where we go. You know, we have this customer base, which is everything I dreamed of, to be able to say, hey, we tried this thing, it didn't work. It's not going to work and there's scientific reasons why. This is what we're going to try next. And people go, oh, cool, that's awesome. Keep going, you'll get there. And it's like no-one wants us to be perfect. Everyone wants us to be trying. But the state of recycling is frankly cooked in Australia and all around the world, there's just no economic argument to support it, which means mm. that, you know, another way to look at it is if everyone just starts taking responsibility for their own trash. And my dream would be that whatever we put back out in the world, we can take back in, process, reuse, break down, um, do whatever we can uh, and make sure that we're delivering good, convenient products at the same time. That's where yeah. a lot of kind of, that's our journey and, and I think that's going to morph and take many forms over the years. So that's my hope, anyway.
0: Yeah, that's amazing and so inspiring. Like, I think people would would think differently if they were responsible for you know they, getting rid of their trash. Like imagine if you if you had to store all of your own trash in your backyard. Totally, you would second guess what you buy, right? It's actually not a bad idea, you know, just for, like, just for a week
1: everyone put your trash on your phone. Yeah, that's
0: a great challenge. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Send us your photos, guys. (laughs) Tag at Dirt Company. Yeah. Um, But so I'm interested and I love what you've shared about how ingrained your passion is. Like you can you know, knowing that story of you being on the boat and seeing the, the trash go into the ocean, like how accessible and ingrained and, you know, authentic that message is in Dirt. And, you know, I guess it's for me it's I'm definitely receiving that as a consumer of your product or having even met you, um, that it's a company that's out to do good. Like I remember getting the first um you know um, the metallic looking um, pump bottle and then I remember the the white glass one coming out I was like "Ooh, I'm I'm getting that one (laughs) Um, but um, I think that's a really good message for people looking to you know build ethical businesses because I'd be interested to hear your opinion on whether it's going to be expected of us but to really think about how deeply you ingrain it and authentically do it, and you know that's what I hear about your process is like we're not going to be the most expensive. We, you know we're gonna we're gonna price match. Um, I love that it's beautiful, like, and I think moving towards you know att- attracting that target market of um, you know I like beautiful things, but I also want to be ethical and sustainable. And then the ease in which you make it to be able to return um, your refills and you know all of that as well. Like how not only is it is it good for business and the point of difference, but it's ingrained from your values.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I hope that that's what we are getting across. I think, I mean, if anything, I think the do good message is a little bit lost sometimes. (laughs) Like we forget to count the impact from time to time we just keep charging forward so
0: yeah I think it's good for people to hear this and go you know don't because it's easy to be like oh yeah I'll be ethical and sustainable business but it's like no how how much are you actually going to do you know like how deep is your impact going to be
1: yeah totally and I, I think one thing that I've learned along the way is there's there's several different pictures on you know what is ethical and what is sustainable and i think that for us less harm is kind of what grounded us it's the it's the gauge under which we make decisions and i think you know a lot of people think oh i have to be i have to be ethical and i and i have to be sustainable and that can become a little bit of a blocker to doing to to going forward and um all the rest of it but if you just keep asking yourself along the way now how is it that we're going to do less harm here can we change this packaging or can we change this thing and Hold yourself a little bit accountable to that, of course, because that's required for change. But um, you know that that whole space around ethical and sustainable—it just comes down to don't create unnecessary strain on anything mm-hmm. um, in, in pursuit of doing business. I think that's the old way.
0: That's just yeah. That's just gone now. That's Couldn't a great motto them. to live by because it also like even just an unnecessary strain of like your staff and you know your expectations of of your customers or whatever it might be.
1: Yeah, totally. It's it's. I mean, it's easier when you think of it that way.
0: I think. Mm, yeah, I love that as a little base mark. So we've sidetracked a little bit. I want to get back <laughs> to your so much great wisdom. Um, but the manufacturing, so you go and you get these first 500 bottles done. Mm-hmm. At this point, did you have a database? Did you have a social media following? Like did you Where were the, did you know no, actually, were you are going to get launch, those 500 bottles too?
1: Our launch is hilarious because it's classic. That's why when you ask if I was a um, high achiever, I was like, no, not really. <laughs> I'll make a lot of errors along the way. But um, the way that we launched is... We were doing some testing on our website, um, me and the dev guy who's also a co-founder who built our initial um, web offering I guess and he thought I was going to put the password protection on and I thought he was going to put it on and neither of us put it on and we got a sale <laughs> and it was just a friend who knew what I was doing uh, that yes. must thought we must have launched and we woke up in the morning and we're like, oh, shit, there's a sale on our website. We're like... Josh is like, "Well, you've got to be able to ship the product." I'm like, "Oh, well, I've got to get boxes for packaging. I've got to get labels. I don't know how to post anything." Um, I like, "Yeah, it should be fine." Mm-hmm. So, I just like just running around Melbourne, like filled a few bottles, got some refill packs, bought some boxes from somewhere on the Ring Road, uh, took them to the post office, and back <laughs> to the one. Ring
0: Road. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> Ring Road's been my best friend, but that's uh that was our launch story. So. i I love my job because i couldn't get it across the line uh and then two weeks in we had this accidental launch and then i got so nervous i actually picked up another job three days a week uh and then it wasn't until the end of that year so six months later that i actually quit and committed um wholeheartedly to the Mm -hmm. business when it started to get too busy to manage both so we everything was organic everything grew slowly everything was trial and error um and we certainly didn't kind of launch it and have a strategy and all the rest of it I feel that there's probably a caveat on that that it was a little bit easier even three years ago I mean it wasn't the same as seven years ago um if you got in then it was you know you could do that quite well um it was probably a little bit easier with social media it was it was already crowded but maybe not as saturated as it is now
0: um well I don't think anyone was running you know a beautiful Instagram account about laundry so yeah (laughs) you would have stood out there
1: we were we were new there um so yeah that was probably made it a bit easier but yeah the email base was just pretty much friends and family and we relied on that to get it going and um yeah did you have a happy. timeline
0: to move the five hundred bottles? like did did you have or were you happy to just be able to take it slow?
1: Um, we were pretty happy to take it slow because, like I said, growing fast would have cost money, and you know at that stage we'd put definitely, I'm not sure exactly what, but well under thirty grand into the business, it wasn't going to be catastrophic if we lost it. Mm. whereas, you know, if we, had have, if we had have gone bigger, we would have been under pressure. Um, but just keeping it really lean.
0: Um, yeah, it removes the financial stress that can really take a toll on your ability to, you know, keep showing up or getting a good night's sleep or thinking creatively. If you've got two, like that's what you're talking about before, I guess, around the um, balance between the hope and the fear.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. It was that was our strategy, you know. We just grew, we we just grew as we grew. And I remember the first time we went to the Brisbane Finders Keepers Market. And I remember the first time a woman from there gave us a great review on Facebook. And I was like, but she's a stranger. She didn't <laughs> even know us. And so I was like, yeah, that's what you need for your business. I'm like, that's crazy, though. Why
0: is she being so nice? <laughs> This stuff actually works. (laughs) Amazing. And I have a quick question for you from like just because I I know I get this question a lot, but that um, going back and getting the three days a week job and, you know, doing dirt on the side, obviously you were taking it slow and it wasn't this you didn't need huge amounts of, of your energy at that time. But did you notice a shift in the success of the business based on how much you gave it time and energy and fully backed yourself in it?
1: Yes, 100%. Um, I When I quit the three days a week um, job, that was because we just had like a manic December and I wasn't doing anything well. Um, and then I gave myself... I said I think I gave myself like six months and said if we're not turning over twenty grand a month by the end of six months and I'm quitting this business, then it's not going to be worth uh, my time. I, d- I just plucked that number from anywhere, um, just like a good random number. I remember speaking to one of my friends who's been in business for a while and they were like, we're probably going to need a bit more than that. I was like, no, the number and that's what I'm going to do. Um, and, yeah, we... It, and we'd grown really slowly. Like at that time, I think we were, we were selling like maybe two and a half thousand dollars of laundry detergent. You um, know, not enough to even pay a rent bill, or you know, um, let alone manufacturing, postage, product development, all the rest of it. Um, and I think we closed that inside four months. And that was when I was like, oh, there's a big difference between doing a side hustle. And hustling to make something work. There was no extra cash thrown in or anything, it was purely just my time. Um, but you don't miss the opportunity. You when you're when you're working through a task list, you you forget to sometimes lift your eyes, I think. Whereas when you're working on it, and I maybe sometimes went to work with like nothing to do in a day. And you know, that's when you start to come up with the good ideas. Um, and I remember I remember talking to my friend and I said, guess what I worked for this week? And he's like, what? I said, at minus $280. That's what it cost me <laughs> <go> to couple <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. You're like, oh, God, don't even, you can't even think about it in numbers, but definitely that overall, you know, that overall goal setting around you know, just testing if your time is going to be worth it and what you what kind of success you, you expect to achieve for putting in that time. Yeah. Um, it helped
0: me to make that measured and it helped me to put a revenue figure around it. Mm, I think it's so important to always be setting those goals and targets so you don't become complacent. But also, yeah, I, I one of my favourite quotes in business is what you focus on expands and in life. Um, oh, I love that. And, yeah, I, you know, I hear it all the time around people being like, oh, but maybe I'll just go get some money on the side. It's like, what, you might get $40 an hour over there and you know if you applied that same amount of energy like 7 hours a day to this what is that capable of bringing in yeah totally so, yeah and totally. and that initial build
1: doesn't yield like it like when it's been building or built um and so you know that that's why you need time to focus you know and i think that's the hard thing for when you're starting out you're not working for Forty dollars an hour. You're working for negative forty dollars an hour. Mm. So you've got to be measured, or else you can't get in the cycle of doing that for a long time, or you'll cost everyone around you, um, yeah. you know, quite a bit of money. So.
0: Absolutely, so much great advice in all of this conversation. I'm so it's so nice to chat with you and to hear how you've built this um, incredible company. Um, I mean, you've shared a few little different snippets there but is there any in particular like really bad days obviously the days where you're like all right i'm done (laughs) um but whether there's been critics or you know shipment stuff or things and and then how did you move through that or what's your kind of go-to for moving through that fear or the stress and overwhelm of business
1: um i think yes there's been a lot of bad days i wouldn't give myself a gold star in the way that they've been handled (laughs) Um, and I'm still I'm getting better at caring less about the fact that we have to create problem, that we have to deal with problems and being better at accepting that kind of business is just for business owner anyway. It sort of comes back to it's just spot fires and growth. And that's 50% of my job now is just dealing with problems. So it's just changing the lens, but again. Like I wouldn't want to be preaching about how I handle problems because, you know, there's been certainly been tantrums and times where I've wanted to throw in the, the towel and, um, you know, all the rest of it when I just had to sit outside and just take some time and get some air um, because some of the problems, like I, I, like I remember the first time we ran out of refill packs and I was like, but we're a subscription-based laundry detergent company. We can't run out of product. That's like the number one thing that we have to deliver on. And I was just so devastated. Um, So I guess, yeah, I I think there are those things, but when you come to view it in, in time, my experience has taught me that that's the role, that's not something to be avoided and that makes it a lot easier to deal with the problems.
0: Mm, absolutely I think it's getting that um using it all as a feedback right and an opportunity to go okay this has happened what what is our lesson to learn from it exactly and that and that's where we go I mean our our tech co founder is so
1: good at doing like incident reports and things like that when something goes wrong and we're trying to learn from him a little bit in, in how to deal with it but um you know everyone's sort of getting across the philosophy of what problems have we got on this week? You know, more like don't worry about the fact that we will have things to deal with. Don't try and anticipate or prevent them all. What we have to do is work through them um, and that's where we're getting better.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think it's that's a good mentality. It's, as hard as it is for you to live it, I'm sure it's nice to hear the real side of behind the business because it is easy to see, you know, this really amazing company that's innovating and and doing all these things and growing a social media following um but yeah people that why i started my business really was to know that everybody is moving through this stuff behind the scenes you know you know it doesn't matter what stage of your business you're at totally totally it's just part of the course with business i think <laughs> Yeah, and you just can't get caught up in it. Like that was one of my best pieces of advice that I received was like if you if you went full into the emotion of the highs and the lows of business, you would be an absolute roller coaster of, you know, a head case.
1: Oh, 100%. <laughs> and we all did it. We've all been there. I mean, that time where you had that problem and you just thought that that was the end of the world and you had to just put down your tools and I remember I had, the, I had a breakdown at the Coburg Night Markets um, where I've been really busy, and then I sent an email that had a horrendous typo in it. And then I was driving there, and the marquee nearly flew out the back of my car because I hadn't tied it in properly. I was trying to move all the laundry detergent in my Mazda too. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a great idea. And then I got, by the time I got to the market, I could not stop crying and I couldn't <laughs> even serve the customers. And so now coming up to the stand, now saying, So what have you got here? And I'll just have to duck behind the table and turn around. <laughs> Oh so, like, it must have been the funniest image looking back on it but at the time I could not turn off the waterworks and I just decided <laughs> I couldn't figure it out and I had to call my boyfriend and we were supposed to be flying up to Byron to go to a wedding the next day and he, he was supposed to be getting on the plane that night so he had to come pick me up we, you weren't allowed to leave the market once you'd started your store so we had to yeah. beg him and they were like no no you can't leave and he was like come and have a look at her she needs to go." Uh-huh. let us go and then I got home and I just like I just couldn't believe it it was just a full breakdown I don't know what had specifically happened in that day but that was just where I was at that point
0: in time uh absolutely you you said those days come and I you I've learned to roll with them all right here we go (laughs) (laughs) getting into bed exactly Oh, amazing <laughs> mm-hmm. and I really is the like the, the most significant lessons I've found where you're just like ah when I got through that like nothing like it it helps to make things little fires look smaller
1: totally totally and you just you just your threshold for dealing with stress just changes I think
0: mm-hmm. absolutely it has to otherwise you you wouldn't be
1: you know. <laughs> <laughs> every yeah.
0: day, yeah <laughs> Um, so maybe to finish us off, you can give us what would your number one tip? I know there's lots more that we could cover, and um, there's so much wisdom in this this conversation. But if you were to leave people with with a, your go to tip, having learnt what you've learnt in business, what would you say your piece of advice is for someone looking to start their own business, or maybe who's been in business and having a rough time? Or...
1: Um, I would say that listening is probably still the best business strategy you could have. And I think that's listening to your customers primarily, um, especially the ones that aren't happy, which is uh, sometimes a tough thing to have to do. Um, But listening to your colleagues, listening to your own feelings in it, um, and also keeping your eye on what your commercial value is and making sure that your business is giving, you have a plan for your business to give you back that. Because I think when you listen, you'll know if you're flogging a dead horse, or you just need to tweak some things to for your idea to yield. And that's probably the first thing that you need to be really sure of when you get going. Um, you know, are you going to have to push something up a hill? Or do you need to nudge it over for it to start running? Um, that would probably be my number one thing because I think too often people just throw more money at it or persist with maybe a formula that's not quite right um, in the hope that one day it'll take and and I truly believe that you'll know if it does and and feeling your way out there and then um, yeah I guess the other thing is you know your business has to give back to you as well you don't do it just so you can have a surviving business and You don't expect that to happen in the first year or the first two years or even the first three years in my case, Uh, but you do need a plan for it to happen so that you can stay healthy and objective in the decisions that you make around whether you keep it going or whether you need to change the format of it or, you know, whether it's time to go back to work a little bit to to re-establish what it is that you care about. And I think it all comes back to just making sure that you're hearing you're listening and you're hearing all the feedback and and all the voices from yourself and from your customers and and everything. And I think that's um, that's the scariest part is putting opening up yourself for exposure like that. Um, but it's also the most important part.
0: Amazing, such wise words. And thank you so much <laughs> for sharing <laughs> so honestly and openly. And um, yeah, all of dad's wisdom your your friends and your personal experience thank you so much Frankie Well, oh,
1: thank you so much for having me it was really fun
0: my pleasure Yay. Thank you so much for tuning into the Startup Creative Podcast. If you get a chance, head to iTunes and leave a rating and review. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you get notified every time there's a new podcast up. See you next week.